Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. My husband and I are movie buffs, especially when it comes to action shows or with me, Hallmark Romance, or clean comedy. What I've found interesting in most movies is that they all have the same basic themes. First, the plot evolves with characters developing in generally a positive way. Then tragedy strikes where the good guys are in trouble and there seems to be no hope. Finally, everything turns out great and the good guys win. That sounds like a lot like the direction of our world today. Which of these scenes do you think we're currently in? Clearly, we're in the middle of that scenario, which is when the good guys are in trouble and there seems to be no hope. For decades, we've spiraled downward morally, politically, educationally, spiritually, almost to the point of no return. And it's going to get worse as Satan and his Antichrist gain worldwide dominion for the last three and a half years of the tribulation. But have no fear, as we know the end of the story. God wins, and his people come out victorious. Christ is always our hope as we and the world walk through the turbulent times that we're in right now and that we're going to continue to go through. I'm Debbie Blank. Today we'll begin looking into the drama of the middle of the tribulation. Because Satan has been thrown down to the earth, knowing he has a short time, he's going to empower the Antichrist, who is now going to be revealed, and they're both going to take their seat of power. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. After nearly two years of global pandemic, global death counts, global shutdowns, global mandates, and global protests, is it that difficult to imagine the desire for a global leader emerging with a plan to solve everyone's problems? The world has already changed so dramatically out of fear of a virus. What would mankind give? What have we already given up for a possible solution to terrifying global problems? In Revelation, we've witnessed our unseen enemy waging war to finally get his own demonic kingdom on the earth, which he will achieve through a personality we often refer to as the Antichrist. As we begin to realize how such a tyrannical kingdom could actually be achieved through this master deceiver, we are relieved to know that believers don't have to look for the coming Antichrist. We can focus on our coming Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is what the book of Revelation is all about. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of the Antichrist. So much of this book talks about Jesus Christ and who he is as well as his return. Sure, we have other people thrown in like Satan and the Antichrist, but it's always about Jesus Christ. When we got to the middle of the tribulation period in Revelation eleven seven, we were introduced to the beast for the first time who killed the two witnesses that God had sent to evangelize. But God has overcome death so that these two witnesses might have life. And they did have life and overcame Satan with that. And then we learned in Revelation eleven fifteen that the kingdom of this world has now become the kingdom of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ, which means that God reigns. We learned in chapter 12, verse 4, that Satan is alive and well. He has actively tried to destroy God's people, the Jews, from the very beginning. Yet God has always protected his people. 
In Revelation 12, 7, we saw a war in heaven with God's angels being victorious over the demons. That's because God is always the victor. Now in Revelation 13, we see Satan and the Antichrist. They're introduced in their full power. Yet the preservation and faith of the saints overcomes them through Jesus Christ. Satan may be alive and well now and in the future, but God always wins. That's where our focus needs to be, is on God and on what he does and who he is and what his plans and promises are for the future, not on the evil one, though we do need to read and understand who he is. It's important that we know that we have a real enemy. Some people think that the devil doesn't exist. They may believe in heaven. They may believe in God. But a lot of people don't believe in the devil. They don't think he really exists. And I heard somebody say one time, the most dangerous enemy you can ever have is the one that's convinced you he doesn't exist. So the Bible does say you need to know about him, and we need to know his methods so that we won't be captured by his deceptions. But we don't want to pay too much attention to him either. It's interesting because there have been so many people speculating about the identity of the Antichrist over the centuries. There have been so many candidates for the Antichrist. Certainly in our lifetime, Adolf Hitler is the one that people mention the most. But even American presidents, most of the popes, there's just been so many people. And it's been an intriguing thing to think about. But really, we want our focus to be on Jesus. We've talked many times on this program about how the world needs to move to a one-world government and a one-world religion. But if we're going to have a one-world government, we must have a one-world leader. That's the person that we call the Antichrist. Right now, we need to focus on him because that's what Revelation 13 is about. That's what God focuses on. But every time when something comes in about the devil or the Antichrist, God gives us hope and a perspective on him that sets our mind and our hearts where they need to be. Let's begin with Revelation 13. It says, And he stood on the sand of the seashore. Who is this he? Let's read about him. It says, And I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, and on his head were blasphemous names. Does that sound familiar? Absolutely. Because we saw previously The Satan was described the same way, as having seven heads and ten horns. In this case, we learn from Revelation 17 that we've talked about before, that the seven heads represent seven mountains. Five have fallen, one is, and one is yet to come. That tells us that there are seven world kingdoms who have controlled the land of Israel. This Antichrist has seven heads. So he is the one who will be the final king, you might say, or the leader of this final world kingdom. It goes on to say, and on his horns were 10 diadems and on his head were blasphemous names. Well, the 10 horns, according to Revelation 17, 12, are 10 kingdoms who have not yet received a kingdom, but will receive it and will give their authority to the Antichrist. Again, according to Revelation 17, it goes on to say, and on his heads were blasphemous names. So the seven heads that represent seven mountains or seven previous kingdoms that were evil, consummate evil that hated the Jews who were the ones who were controlled by Satan, this is just another example of nations like Rome or like Egypt or Babylon, all of those nations that wanted to destroy Israel. This beast that's coming up out of the sea And by the way, the sea, according to Revelation 17, 15, is the Gentile nations. 
So he's going to be a Gentile. He's not going to be a Jew. And he's going to look just like Satan. When we talk about what he's going to look like, what's so important when we look at the description in chapter 13 is that he is a beast. And we talked about this earlier when we were talking in Revelation 12 and even earlier that Satan has an appearance sometimes, or the Antichrist might have an appearance, where he doesn't look evil. In Revelation 6, we talk about the rider on the white horse, and some people think, oh, that's Jesus. No, it's not Jesus. We believe it is this Antichrist character, but he's coming in peace, and he's coming to conquer and to conquer, but he doesn't have any arrows in his quiver, so it's more like he's somebody who's going to kind of overcome people with their diplomacy. He has diplomatic skills. He can kind of coerce people into doing things, and they might not recognize him as the evil person that he really is. But when we look at chapter 13, it says there is a beast coming out of the sea. So we're seeing what John sees, what God sees. He sees a beast, and it's a vicious, venomous, monstrous beast. It's not just some animal or something. We have something that's a combination of horns and heads and different body parts of different animals. And so this is quite an astounding creature that comes out of the sea. Let's keep in mind the timing here. As we read Revelation 13, we are in the middle of the tribulation. Satan has been thrown down knowing he has a short time to live. What you described in Revelation 6 with the opening of the first seal is a peaceful world leader. And we also see that in Daniel 9, 27, when it says that he, this peaceful world leader, will make a covenant with the many for seven years. So he's going to appear to be peaceful because he's going to make a peace agreement with Israel. And everyone is going to laud him as this great diplomat that people look to to run this world. So it's hard right now to say who this might be because this guy is going to look good to everyone when he starts. But by the middle of the tribulation, they're going to see him for who he really is. It goes on in verse 2 to say, And this beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. Right there, if you read each one of those, it uses like each time when it describes the leopard, the bear, and the lion. So it's not saying that he's an actual beast that looks like all three of these beasts. What it means is because he has the appearance of a leopard, when we look back into history, Greece conquered Israel, and they were swift. They were known as the leopard, and they were swift in their conquering. And his feet were like those of a bear. Well, a bear was representing the Medo-Persian Empire, and they were strong. And then his mouth was like the mouth of a lion. Well, that would be representative Babylon, who was fierce in their dealings with Israel. So again, we go back to the seven heads. This beast is going to represent all the previous kingdoms in their ferocity as he is seen now as the Antichrist or the world leader who gains his power from Satan. Because that verse in Revelation 13, 2 goes on to say, the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. So he's the embodiment now of all of Satan's tactics and his power. And remember, Satan has great power. We talked over the last few weeks of Satan's kingdom here on earth. And what we said is that since the Garden of Eden, he's had influence over everyone. It's his kingdom, according to 1 John five nineteen. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 
In John 12, 31, it says, Now judgment is upon this world. The ruler of this world will be cast out. So Satan is the ruler of this world, and he can give his power to whomever he wants. When you talked about Hitler and other people who many have thought have been the Antichrist through the centuries, they probably got their power from Satan too. But it wasn't God's timing for him to empower the Antichrist until we see it just now. And, and Satan does have the power to embody people. He does have the power to encourage people to do his bidding according to his will by the powers that he gives them. And we know that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And as you said, throughout history, there have been people who maybe were actually candidates to be Antichrist because maybe that was Satan's candidate and he was ready, but it wasn't God's timing. And so there have been evil dictators and people who have preceded this Antichrist, but this is someone completely different. That's why it says in verse 3, And I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fainal wound was healed, and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. Now, don't we all just love miracles? So if this is a person who's died or appears to have died and come back to life, people would be amazed, and they'd think maybe he was God or had miraculous powers. Some people believe this is talking about the death of the Roman Empire and then the revision of the Roman Empire, because everything leads to the idea that the European Union or the revised Roman Empire will be the one world government in the end days. So that would be a death of that government that's brought back to life. However this means, it means that whatever miracle is going to take place, people are going to see it. And people are so enthralled by miracles that they forget to look at where the miracles or the signs are coming from. We talked about that a few weeks ago, about how Satan can perform signs. Certainly God can perform all kinds of miracles, and God's people can too. But Satan uses signs to deceive, and we're going to see that as we look at verse 4. It says, They worship the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worship the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who is able to wage war with him? Now that almost tells me that he's going to have won some kind of war when this goes on. They recognize that nobody can defeat the Antichrist. He's not called the Antichrist here. As a matter of fact, in Scripture, he's never called the Antichrist. That's a name that we have given him based on an attitude that we see in 1 John. In 1 John 4, 3, it says, Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you've heard that he is coming and now is already in the world. So the spirit of Antichrist is someone who does not follow God, does not confess Jesus as God. And certainly that's exactly what this Antichrist does here because he follows Satan. In 2 John 7, it says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the Antichrist. So it's the spirit of Antichrist that's anti-Christ, which gives us that wording, which gives us the name that we use for this one world leader at the end times who will be empowered by Satan and who is talked about as a beast right here. But he's talked about as several other things. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4, we probably see the best terms for him that says in that passage, let no one in any way deceive you, for it, which is the second coming of Christ, will not come until the apostasy comes first. That's the falling away from God. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, 
who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes a seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as God. That is a great explanation of who this Antichrist is and what he's going to do. In Daniel 7, there's lots of descriptions for him. He's called a dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong beast. We see that in Revelation. Also, it says that he has 10 horns in that passage, which we know. But it also says about him that as for the 10 horns out of this kingdom, 10 kings will arise and another will arise after them. And he will be different from the previous ones and he will subdue three kings. So we know that those 10 kings, which are the 10 horns, but then he's going to grow up and to be a, the little horn out of the 10. So he's going to be the leader of the 10, but then he's going to subdue three of those kingdoms. Let me explain that the United Nations has already divided the world into 10 different kingdoms. It's just a matter of time before we all recognize it. They put it on their website in 2009. So that could mean that the world is divided into 10 kingdoms, but he comes in as the little horn, takes over control, and then gets rid of or destroys or conquers three of those nations or kingdoms that have been set up. It goes on to say, fortunately, that our God will have dominion over him and he will win and he will destroy and annihilate this Antichrist. In Daniel 11, he's called a king. It says the king will do as he pleases and he's going to exalt and magnify himself about every God and he'll speak monstrous things against the God of gods. Now we saw that in all the blasphemies that he does in Revelation 13. And he will prosper until the indignation is finished. So he's going to be the number one most powerful person in the world. He will show no regards for the God of his fathers. So he's going to only focus on himself and make himself out to be God. This is interesting that says he'll have no desire for women. A lot of people say he's going to be homosexual. Well, that may be the case. It also may be that that means that he does not respect women at all. And we know that a lot of the people in the Islamic faith that are living in other countries do not provide for the respect for women. It says he's going to honor a God of fortresses. That means he's going to be powerful militarily. A God whom his fathers did not know, he will honor him with gold and silver, costly stones and treasures, which means he's going to be very wealthy and have all of those things. He's going to take action against the strongest of fortresses with the help of a foreign God. Well, we know that that's Satan. He's going to defeat anyone that comes up against him because of Satan's power. He will give honor to those who acknowledge him and will cause them to rule over the many and will parcel out land for a price. Well, that's his control of the 10 nations of the world. He's described in many other ways throughout scripture. We just need to recognize that this is all talking about the same person who's going to take control here in the near future. We've talked about what the spirit of Antichrist is, and also that Antichrist can mean someone who is against Christ or someone who would like to take the place of Christ. So when you talked about that fatal wound that was healed and some sort of a resurrection that would come about, you would think that that great deceiver, that that great counterfeiter, Satan, the devil, the dragon who's behind the beast, would want to perform something that would at least look like that. So that's a possibility, but it says they worship the dragon. So they know the dragon is behind the beast. They're worshiping both of them because he gives the authority to the beast. And he's spouting arrogant words and blasphemies. 
it says that he is given the authority to act for 42 months, which is a time period that we're very familiar with, aren't we? We are, and we saw that in the previous chapter, where Satan goes after Israel for 42 months, or 1260 days. This tells us the fact that they're worshiping the dragon and they're worshiping the beast, that this Antichrist is going to have control over a religious system. We'll talk about that next week when we get further into this chapter. In verse 6, it reads, And he opened his mouth in blasphemes against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Blaspheming God is a total irreverence to him. It's the worst kind of false witness that we can have. And it says it three times. He's going to do everything he can to try and discredit our God. Now, we're already seeing that in our world today by taking away God as creator, taking God out of our schools and out of our systems, even trying to control some of our religious practices as happened during COVID. So it's not surprising that Satan's going to be involved with the Antichrist in this religious system. But it's not just a religious aspect of it. There's a political system here, too. The Antichrist is going to rule over this one world entity. We see that because of his description of seven heads and ten horns. And by the way, what I didn't mention way back in verse 1, he has ten diadems on his horns. Diadems are kingly crowns. You have Stephanos, which are victor's crowns, but diadems are the top notch. They're the best. Diadems are only mentioned three times in Scripture, and they're all in the book of Revelation. Satan wore a diadem. The Antichrist wore a diadem and Jesus will wear a diadem because Satan is the God of this world for a period of time. He gives that authority to the beast, the Antichrist, for a period of time. But ultimately, in Revelation 19, we'll see that Jesus is our ultimate victor with the diadem. So we know it's a governmental system because there is power and there are crowns. So we're talking about a tyrannical world government and then, as you said, a religious system because they're worshiping as well. That's right. As we move into Revelation thirteen seven, it reads, And it was given to him, this is the Antichrist, the beast, to make war with the saints, that's the Jews, and to overcome them. We saw that in the previous chapter last week when we discussed it. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. If you notice, it was given to him. Power was given to him. He didn't earn it. It was given to him by Satan. And what he did was he made war with the Jews, and then he made war with the rest of the people. When you see the tribes, the tongues, or peoples, and nations, that's talking about the whole world. So he's got this political system that's waging war against the whole world. Verse 8 says, And all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who's been slain. This Antichrist is going to have so much power and so much influence and so much delusion and so much deception that everyone is going to worship him. Everyone except, except those whose names are written in the book of life of the Lamb. What is the book of the life of Lamb? It is the book that God has written the names of those of us who have believed in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We are true followers of Jesus Christ. That is the book that allows us to get into heaven because our names are written in it. By the way, that's also the book whose names of unbelievers are not written in. So they will eventually be relegated to eternal hell because their names are not written there. We can turn to Jesus today and have our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life 
and then we will be protected for all eternity. Those people who believed in Jesus did not worship Satan because they knew the truth. Now, I have to ask in this world that we're living in, are we following wrong practices when we know what the truth is? Now, there's going to be so much deception in the future that it's going to be clear black and white as do you follow God or do you follow Satan? But it's clear now. And we should be following God now instead of the world or ways of just ignoring God because we want to do what we want to do. Well, things are going to be so different during the tribulation that anybody who turns to Jesus Christ during that time will know that they cannot worship the beast and they will not. Yes, as you said, they will not. It looks like that's the exception to the rule where everyone else is worshiping um, this horrible creature and this government and this system that's being put into place. And so there is that exception. And then the next verse is verse 9. It says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. And I'm thinking back early in Revelation, the messages to the seven churches, and it's said to each and every one of those churches. So why is it said here? So that we will listen. It's a warning to us. He said it to all the seven churches after he finished his description of what was going on with them, and he says it to it now. If we have an ear, let us hear what God is saying here and let us be ready. Let our eyes and attention be focused on Jesus Christ. In everything we do in life, Jesus Christ has to be preeminent because if he is, then we will hear and we will listen and we will obey. But if he's not preeminent, then we will fall. But these people are going to be so strong that they're going to give up their lives rather than turn to Satan and worship him. Are we that strong in our faith? In verse 10 of Revelation 13, it ends this part of the passage by saying, If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the preservation and the faith of the saints. What this passage is saying is those people whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, they're going to be going through persecution. If they're going into captivity, it's going to happen. And if they're going to death, it's going to happen, just like it did at the time of Hitler. But we need to have perseverance, patience. We need to have faith in Jesus Christ because it's that patience and that trust in God that will bring people through to the end. And yes, they're going to be held captive and put to death, but their hope is not in this world. Their hope is in the future. Our hope isn't in this world. Our hope is in the future of our relationship with Jesus Christ. So scripture proves over and over that Jesus is sovereign. He has the authority over Satan and his demons. Jesus gives us the power of the Holy Spirit to withstand the evil one. We have power and victory in Jesus Christ. Now we're currently in the middle of Satan's drama, but as we're reading in Revelation 13, it's going to get so much worse. Ultimately, God rules and reigns. Therefore, as God's children, we're to place our hope in Jesus now, but also for the future. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Otherwise, there's no hope in this life or in the hereafter. We're going to be persuaded to go the wrong direction if we don't have Jesus. Psalm 31, 23 and 24 says, Oh, love the Lord, all you his godly ones. The Lord perseveres the faithful and fully recompenses the proud doer. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. Then I remember what God said to Joshua in Joshua 1, 9. 
Be strong and courageous. Do not fear. Be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Our heart needs to be on Jesus to withstand the turmoil that we're going through now, the drama we're in now. But the worst things are going to take place for those who don't believe in Jesus Christ. So let's turn to Jesus today so that we can have faith and trust as this world turns further away from him. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.